Welcome to the lock-in, part four. Dara, we made it to episode four. Congratulations. Thanks very much, David. Before you uh, get started, uh, there's just something. I know you're suffering in lockdown at the moment, and it's definitely been at least six months. So there's something I want to show you. Ah, uh, yes. There it oh, is. Wait, what, what do I have here? What Shush, do I, have? I haven't introduced you yet. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> wait, where's yours, David? Do you have well, one, David? Well, on that note, <laughs> no, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing. Um, thanks, guys. Did you did you synchronize that troll of me? I'm not even going to bother. Look, there's Jen Shahadi. She decided to show up with me. <laughs> well, I had this a nice thing written down about you, but I'm just not going to. Well, bother. say it now, anyway. No, no, I'm done. <laughs> the grid rivalry with us has become sort of um, a bit worryingly nasty of late. Jen, what, what's going on? Well, you know, we got we got our, our podcast wars. There's the poker grid and the the chip race. The only award winning podcast that I know of. <laughs> and you know, we we took your we took your trophy basically. Well, we've got the oh, I never got one to be title. <laughs> yeah, of the I best think, podcast. I, think I took his trophy. Yeah, yeah, that, we're the that, best that, podcast that, in the world right now. That's it, so yeah. you can ask me for tips. I'm <laughs> I'm open. Well, that, that's, that's why we have you here. No, it's true, actually. What Dara said there at the start, though, is, is, is true. Uh, the deal we have is once every six months, he has to either send me a photograph of it or show it to me on video. That's all I get. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's it's the... helping me a lot in lockdown because anytime I feel bad about the whole situation, I just look at it and I think about how much pleasure it gives me that you will never, ever hold it in your hands. It's true. <laughs> this is my punishment for never bringing my poker trophies home with me, Jen. You just have to win again, and then oh, maybe you could get the second yeah, one. Yeah, I think no, you won't give it to me. I won't give it to him. No, not a you, chance. Maybe you could win breakout player of the year instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on that note, here's my gym tonic because uh, people were a bit pissed off that we called our show the lock in, and neither of us were drinking. So I thought I'd at least uh, make myself a very watered down gin and tonic. There. Are, are we allowed to drink on stream? I thought that was against uh, corporate policy. Um, well, very, very worn down, as I said. It does not look like a gin and tonic at all. It doesn't look like a gin and tonic. It literally looks like, I don't even know what it looks like. What the fuck is that like? It looks like a tropical drink of some kind with like three different types of juices and two different types of liqueur. Unipery. Mmm, yum. Yeah. Talking about your show, The Grid, Jen, I, the one thing that always impressed, I think, both of us from the very start was you decided on a very strong concept so i know that's something that with your art background would be something that would be always in your mind anyway you'd be percolating a, an interesting idea but it's really stood to you because i i think one of the things that podcasts do suffer from over time is how without a sort of a strong central concept they lose their way or they become a victim to maybe running out of the host's stories or something like that yeah, I mean, it's going to be difficult. Like, I, it's interesting because I think it creates this overarching um, intrigue as there's like this mystery of whether I will ever actually complete it or not. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is if somebody has like a great story with Ace Jack offsuit, well, hey, Chris Crock already talked about it. Or um, Aces, Jamie Kurtzetter took those right out of the gate. Of course, Jamie took Aces, right? Selfish <laughs> bitch. <laughs> but, there we go. But that said, um, I so that's I feel like there are pros and cons, and um, I just got to be creative as 
some of the the better hands get get clicked off. Make sure I'm uh you know get figuring out ways so that people still have really good stories to tell. And when you look at the other podcasts that are out there, obviously uh, it's very hard to imagine anyone uh, eclipsing either yours or our show as uh, 20, 20 winners. But uh, who do you look at and kind of think, well, that's an interesting idea or that's got some legs or some potential to maybe, you know, grow? Well, I like a lot of the poker podcasts. I mean, there's so, there's so many good ones right now. It seems like it's, I'm really happy I won in uh, 2019 because it seems like the, it's getting more and more um, heated with so many people coming up with these great ideas. Um, and not only just that I won an award, which is of course great because it gets more people to know about the grid and I get to lord it over you guys. But it's also just, it's also just the, I think that the, the podcasts that are coming out like right now or recently, it's even harder from a marketing point of view because there's so much going on and so much competition for those, those listeners and those subscribers. Whereas if you've been around for a while, you know, you already have them, right? So it, it's, uh, it's, it's not, not that it's a bad time to start a podcast. It's just, it's, you have to have, you actually have to have a marketing strategy, right? Which is tough because when, when you're a podcaster, you're also doing everything by yourself, right? The production, the editing, um, you might be able to hire some of it out, but ultimately it's a lot of work as is. Um, and I think in the, maybe previously the marketing was a little bit more, just slap a, some links here and there and you're good to go, right? But your question was about podcasts that I like besides yours and, and ours. Um, ours meaning me, me and my husband, Daniel. Uh, I really like a lot of them. I love um, Olivier's podcast, even though he's only have like five episodes. <laughs> I think he does a great job. And I really like um, the uh, Kara Scott, our friend Kara Scott's new um, podcast, The Heart of Poker, which I think... Um, there's some similarities with that in mind and that it's this very, very, um, I don't want to say rigid, but it's this very um, specific structure that you ask people these deep psychological questions that have nothing to do with poker, with the idea that you're going to get another side of people. And even though in the grid, we're, we're talking exactly about poker, I think from a structural point of view, it also has that like hyper specificity, which it, you could call a gimmick or you could call a really fun time. Yeah, expanding on what Jen said there, Dara, the one thing I suppose we thought initially when we came out with our podcast five years ago was that we have our Twitter reach and maybe we have the company who were behind us in the, the first year. They might have a little bit of power to get us out there, but we were sort of relying on our existing audience and then building on it. How, how do you feel like, touching on what Jen said there about how a, a, a new podcast has to sort of have a marketing strategy in place almost from the word go just to even have any chance. Yeah, I think the first year we probably didn't really put too much thought into it because, well, for a start, it was just we were commissioned to do six or seven shows, whatever it was. Um, and it was kind of the company behind us. Uh, they owned it. So, and there was no online sponsor at that point. So, and it was also focused solely on Irish poker. I mean, we did a we did a UK episode too, which actually did the worst of all the episodes we put out first year. So that kind of just reinforces into the view that we were better off sticking to Irish poker. When it came back with Unibet, the focus changed completely in that we had to sort of now not just reach Ireland. Uh, in fact, Ireland wasn't even useful at the time because Unibet weren't um, 
licensed in Ireland at, at that time. So I think we really struggled in the first year, a uh, first season back, uh, in terms of knowing what our audience was uh, or would be. Even booking guests was really difficult. Um, I mean, you said to me recently that when you when you asked Charlie Carroll, he asked immediately, well, who, who were your last three guests? Um, we definitely had difficulties in the beginning when we asked people and they looked at the guests and it was, you know, people known to us maybe, but not people known to them and that made them less keen to come on. I think we got very, very savvy about marketing. We basically used every angle we could. You know, we, we leaned on Jake, uh, Jake Cody to our friendship with him to uh, sort of be our first big name guest. Then we used him as a springboard to get other people like pads. And we kind of realized that that was our audience, the online grinder audience. That was that they were the people who resonated with our audience. Um, obviously, Jennifer Tilly was a huge breakthrough for us as well. Um, oh, I listened to that episode. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 yeah she's I so mean, great. She, oh. she, she was absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. I mean, she, she went out of her way to, uh, to, to, to give us that she actually um, interrupted her lunch hour in a in a busy day of filming interviews for her for her latest movie. So, and Jen also helped us get other American guests, which basically expanded the reach as well. Initially, we were definitely UK, I would say UK and Ireland focused, um, um, but then it spread over time. And as we realized our market was getting bigger and bigger, um, and our reach was getting bigger and bigger, we became more tactical. So now, you know, if you do look at our guest list, there tends to be a pattern. Uh, there's a certain amount of American facing guests. There's a certain amount of Europeans. There's a certain amount of non-English speakers. There's a balance between male and female. There's a balance between online and live. Um, and David, you in particular do an amazing job just spamming the shit out of every Facebook forum that hasn't banned you yet. Well, it's funny you say that because I was talking to Joe Ingram recently and he complimented us on sort of the same thing, which is that, well, you guys really do a good marketing push. And I sort of explained to him that our policy from very early on, which is something Dara always talked about, was um, I guess we call it like the Bowie rule or something like that, which was that David Bowie used to have this attitude of, well, when I'm in the studio and I'm creating a piece of art, okay, I might let the occasional influence in, but basically I want to be an artist and I want to be kind of singular in my vision and I want to make something that I believe in and really want to make. And then the day the thing is locked off, I become a prostitute and I just hoard the bollocks out of whatever I've made and try and make it as big a success as possible and get as many people to listen to it. And I suppose when we're curating the show, we kind of make the show we want to hear for the most part, obviously with a little bit of an ear on maybe what could be popular or what could be topical. But I think we pretty much want to make a show that's, got a bit of variety to it that sort of would make us want to listen to it and then once we've done that we don't really care about how, who we annoy or spam or uh you know threaten or bow breach or well you know whatever we've done over the years yeah would you it's... stoop so low would you stoop so low to pretend that you don't like one of your friends <laughs> <laughs> in order to ratchet up excitement for your own podcast I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, just fake fights, <laughs> frenemies, <need> friends. <laughs> um, switching it up, you just played a fantastic charity tournament. I have to give a lot of credit to Poker Stars on this one. They put on a huge event where I think money was being given out to all sorts of different charities. Whoever I think the individuals chose, maybe a hundred k for first, but it was a million quid total given away, and you battled through quite a big field of some other pros but a lot of celebrities to get what third for 40k 50k 
Exactly. Yeah. So that was a, a really, it was so much fun. I mean, I've always loved playing charity tournaments in general because um, usually. Some you, of your best results, Jen, let's be honest. I know. I know. I really do. In fact, back when I made videos for Run It Once, I actually made a video on, on charity tournaments. On crushing charity tournaments, it was it was uh it was like obviously tongue in cheek, but I I think I did like do some math. I can't remember, but you know because usually there's in charity tournaments there's like some really bizarre reentry structure where you like enter for like three hundred dollars and then there are unlimited reentries for like a hundred bucks. So, like you actually are trying to get it get it in with any two if you don't, if you have your starting stack you know if you're trying to do well and donate as much money for a charity and, and and be the winner right so I was trying to I was trying to actually break that down <laughs> um but because you know there 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 used to be tournaments like that I think online um as well where like the re-entry was like a very small percentage of the um actual entry but you got a lot of chips for it so there wasn't there wasn't like zero practical value of course, in this one, because of regulations, it was all play money. So we all just played on the play money site. And that, uh, that was probably really hard for a lot of the celebrities just to get used to the client. I gave a poker lesson, actually, to Gabriel Mack, the, the star character in the TV show Suits. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, most of our lesson was me trying to explain to him how to use the bet slider. I mean, if you've never done that before... Mm. and you know, seeing what the different bet sizes are and like avoiding just min betting all the time, which is of course something that a lot of, a lot of uh, people who've never played online poker before will just like click the min, min bet too often or min raise. Um, so just trying to explain that is probably the most overwhelming thing. Um, and actually Gabriel did really well in the tournament. So I was very proud of my, of my teaching abilities. And I remember seeing, was it Matt Affleck who was sort of chatting you up? Uh, with four or five left? Casey. Casey oh, Affleck. Casey Affleck, right? sorry. Yeah. And he was, he, well, he, apparently he the liked The actual star as opposed to the poker player. Poker player, yeah. I knew, I knew it wasn't Ben. Casey um, is a, wait, Casey was talking about how he liked chess. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's so much overlap between chess and poker. And then it was pretty cool that the guy from Billions Wags ended up winning it all. That was very... That was really, really fun to see. Because I'm a big fan of that character. I'm and Breaking then, Bad. What's that? I'm Breaking Bad. Oh, right. Yeah, we, who was he on Breaking Bad? Sorry. Dale. The, 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 the other chemists that Walter, well, actually, uh, Jesse kills. Oh, oh, yeah, God, yeah. I mean, it's been so long since I've watched Breaking Bad. I actually never put that together. I should have, though. But he's, his personality, um, as you can see after he won it, was also just really great. He reminded me. It, just kinda, it, it seems like being able to play like the big party guy who's also really um, brilliant. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if his real-life personality <laughs> is somewhat similar to that based on like the post-game interview. Absolutely. Dara, I want to ask you a question, actually. We during the week there's been a lot of tweeting actually it's almost like we've reached a tipping point with the sort of lockdown online poker situation where maybe a lot of the initial deposits that maybe came from live players who thought well I have to play online now they probably played kind of big maybe they a lot of them got burnt and <laughs> aren't enjoying it so much yeah and uh, I did a tweet about 
um, a few tips that people might might avail of. But probably the best tweet that went out there was from our good pal Louise Butler. Yeah. And I wanted to get your take on that, Dara. She said, uh, drop stakes drastically. Don't late reg PKOs, something you should obviously be able to help us out about. Uh, avoid unlimited re-entry games. Play some small fields and learn how to multi-table. What was your reaction when you saw Louise post that? Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant post. <clears throat> I think she, I, I think she nailed the major points. Like I deal, I'm friends with a lot of recreational players. I coach some as well, but they're they, they tended to be fairly hardened online players. Of of greater interest right now are the recreational players I know who never really played online and are suddenly playing online, or even you know some live pros as well. Um, and it's just interesting to see how much they struggle with the whole thing. Um, they seem to struggle far more on with on the mental side and with tilt in general than online poker players do. Um, I, I feel that that's kind of down to like we're just used to it at this stage and we don't get too emotionally involved. But they're for them, it still kind of feels like a live tournament in a sense. So they get really upset when they bust, particularly if it's a bad beat and that upsets them for a long time. Also, the, the multi-tabling thing is interesting because I mean that's not that's something that not everybody can do. Um, and if you are just one tabling, then it fails far more like the live experience where all of your emotional investment is in that one table. And if you hmm. take a bad beat, beat after six hours, it kind of feels this, as, as shitty as it does live. Whereas, you know, if you're 20 tabling like David is, then you just barely even notice if one of the tables disappears from your screen. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a very good tweet. Um, I do think that ultimately the players who stick around will either have to sort of like toughen up and just accept the online paradigm and this is that it's different online because if they're seeing it as purely as a substitute for live poker, um, it's never going to be that, I don't think. Um, no matter what, no matter how they do it, it's going to, uh, I think it's, it's going to cause them distress. It's also, somebody made a point on the thread, it's, it's far more obvious online that you're a losing player um, because, you know, your money just disappears gradually. Whereas live players um, can often sort of have this self-delusion that they believe they're winning. Uh, there was a famous uh, study, I guess you could call it, 20 years ago where a guy was playing in a home game and he kept meticulous records of how everybody did. And he worked out that there was one big winner in the game. Uh, I think two moderate winners of which he was one, two moderate losers and five big losers. Um, but the interesting thing was he asked everybody at the end of the year how they thought they were doing. And everybody except the big winning player overestimated how well they were doing. The moderate winner thought he was winning a lot. The moderate losers thought they were actually winning. And the big losers thought they, thought they were losing, but not that much. Um, and I think that's true in live poker in general, particularly with tournaments being so spaced out. People can, unless they keep actual records, they, um, it's not obvious to them how they're actually doing. Right. And you can also always just focus on the, the unlucky spots where you, you feel like it's not at all your fault that you busted that tournament. So that can obviously contribute to the delusion as well. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I started streaming um, after this lockdown and it was something I resisted for quite a long time, but uh, I, I'm happy that I tried it because, um, and I talked to David a little bit about this too, I, I, in, on my podcasts, both of them actually, but in particular the Poker Grid, I often interview people who stream full-time or are passionate about streaming, and I just feel like now in retrospect, like my questions about it were a bit naive, and I'll, from this experience of trying streaming myself, I'll always be better at interviewing people who are professional streamers or esports professionals. Um, also with my commentary work, I feel really much more empowered to understand that, you know, 
incredibly growing world. Um, so that said, in terms of live players who want the social aspect, um, streaming does really bring that in where you can play poker and then on the side, you know, chat with new and old friends. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. I, I personally have trouble sometimes playing too many tables or playing like online blitz chess. That's too fast because it hurts my eyes after a while. Like one, I remember when I was uh, pregnant, I was playing like a lot of one minute games um, just to relieve stress. And like my, I was, I was fine, but like my eyes were playing tricks on me. So uh, I, I think that can be one of the tricky things for, especially for players who aren't like super young, you know? Um, how do you, do you guys ever have any issues with that with your eyes? Yeah, I do for sure. Um, not, not, not so much recently because I think maybe it's like everything else that your body just adapts and gets trained to it. But certainly, and, and the other thing is I don't do the same kind of, or at least until lockdown, I didn't do the same kind of online volume um, that I had done in re, at the start of my career. But there were, there were periods where towards the end of long sessions where my vision would get blurry um, and have a sort of throbbing. And the only thing I could really do was just during the five-minute break, lie down and give my eyes a rest. Um, and that seemed to help. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue. Actually, since I came back from lockdown too, I haven't had problems with the eyes, but I have noticed some other things. I have uh, sort of well into a session, my wrist tends to get to, uh, sore, uh, sort of a repetitive strain injury. Um, again, it's, I think it's just because I'm doing, I'm playing almost every day now and I'm doing much longer sessions than I have in recent years. Um, so those sort of issues are coming back. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy for me also that like in this crazy time where so many people are losing their jobs and it's so sad, I actually am probably working more than almost ever, especially when it comes to like sitting at my desk and working because there's nothing else to do. So I, and you know, a lot of my normal releases like going to group fitness classes are off the table, obviously. So we're hanging out with friends in the park, going on play dates with my son, going to the playground with my son. All that being off the table, it's actually just causing me to like sit in my chair more. So it's difficult. Um, and I've noticed like some, some injuries based on that. But hey, I mean, it's also very interesting stuff that I'm doing now. And I feel blessed that we're in, we're in worlds like podcasting, poker, and in my case, chess, that are actually booming partly because mm. of this. And it uh, doesn't mean that I'm happy that any of this happened. God forbid, no, all the death and sadness. But it does make it a little easier to distract yourself when work is so booming, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the podcasting thing is interesting because we didn't really know what the impact would be early on. Because one of the things we realized about our listeners is they're creatures of habit. So, you know, there are people who always mm -hmm. listen to us on a Monday, people who listen to us on a Tuesday. And everybody's habits seem to be thrown out of kilter. Uh, by the lockdown obviously so we found when we put our first show back that the numbers were just all over the place um, because people's habits had obviously changed but the overall numbers have gone up um, and I think that's true across the whole podcasting thing podcasts in particular are one of the things which people are, seem to be willing to consume more um, uh, hopefully that will continue uh, speaking of chess I'm very intrigued by the painting behind you is that looks like a puzzle that was on Nate Silver's site recently with the knight missing Oh, yeah. Well, what happened is actually my toddler came into this room and he took the night. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, know what with it. I don't know if you know that. He's, puzzle. Not, he's, a, he's a little boy now. He's three and a half. But yeah. yeah. I don't know if you, if you know that puzzle because uh, basically the night is missing and he's on the queen square. He's on the black queen square. And you're told he got there in 10 moves and or, or whatever. And you have to work it out. 
uh, how we oh, got cool. there. Oh, cool. I got to look that up. Make yeah, sure. it's really cool because I spent about three minutes messing around going like, I don't, there's no path between those two things. And then I had a sort of a brainwave uh, where I realized, wait a minute, the, the, the night always has to move to a square of the opposite color. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, if it's, if, if, if it's 10 moves, he must have started on, the, on, on, the, um, on a black square, not a white square. So therefore, it must be the other night and the, night, and the two nights must have changed uh, position in the meantime. So I was really proud of having solved this. I was so proud that I actually typed up and I was telling you I solved this. And then I realized how sad this was that I was sending <laughs> to both. I was like all the people who barely know how to play poker telling, uh, <laughs> writing to me to tell me about this hand they won. So I didn't actually send it in the end. <laughs> oh, but now you get to tell me. Now I, I'm going to look that up. Nate Silver was in that charity tournament the other day as well, by the way. Yeah, um, he, they have a puzzle section, and it's like from a month ago or so. They do a puzzle every, every uh, uh, and, and you have to work it out. But yeah, it, it, it was a cool one because, like, obviously the eureka moment is when you realize that it's not the knight which is missing from its square; it's the other knight which is which still appears to be on its starting square that must have uh, must have must have made the journey. Yeah, that's a cool thing about chess problems and puzzles that eureka moment, as you mentioned, where you get this kind of like. Uh, feeling of euphoria or sliver of joy that you found basically it's like unlocking they call it a key in a way that is one term for it a key that you're kind of like unlocking something it's a sense of great relief because having a puzzle in front of you and not being able to figure out what the right move it's frustration so you're basically simulating frustration in order to relieve it (laughs) which yeah i mean and uh in chess it also has this like aesthetic component to it as well Oh, I love chess puzzles and problems. That's like one of my favorite parts of the game. Probably what pushed me into it, even as a kid, I um, have this artistic side to me. So I think the fact that chess has this art side, it's not just pure competition and, you know, war, uh, you know, is a good way to like draw people in of a certain type. And then, of course, once you, once you're hooked, then you want to win, but it's not necessarily the, the, the feeling of victory isn't what got you hooked in the first place. It's really interesting. There is one other tweeter this week I wanted to get both of your views on. I guess it's in the news right now. Patrick Leonard, who is obviously quite a vocal person, both on Twitter and when he gets on a podcast, said, in my opinion, a poker union has to be established as soon as possible. There needs to be pros from Stars Party, ACR, GG, and all the other major sites, and it needs to be agreed what we as ambassadors believe will protect our game. I, I would also like to point out that later down that thread, he pointed out what uh, great ambassadors both Dara and I were. Uh, actually, we were the only named ambassador. I didn't see your name anywhere, uh, Jen, unfortunately. Uh, I'm sure he meant to put it there, but uh, he, he... Hey, I, I, heard, I saw him tweet the other day that the poker grid is absolutely brilliant. So just saying. Did he? I, I didn't see that tweet either. Anyway, um, <laughs> more importantly, I wanted to get your take, maybe Jen go first, on that notion of a union. I, I think in the past, efforts to create any kind of unionization has always fallen flat. Poker players do tend to be sole operators in so many respects, and, and it doesn't kind of work. But maybe this is something a select group of people who, who, who do have maybe a role to play in each company could sort of sit down together. I don't know. It, it's a fascinating thread and I recommend it to anybody out there. They should go read it. We're actually going to try and get pads on the show soon to talk more about it. But I, I did want to get your takes on it initially anyway. You know, it's funny. I actually didn't see that. I feel like I saw parts of that thread where he was talking about his stable maybe and how in the, in the current games, but uh, yeah, Pads uh, and his Twitter, it's 
sometimes it's tricky because he's so witty and tongue in cheek sometimes. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm not, I, I, I feel like I'm going to be really relieved to see him on your show so that he can expand more on what he means. Because uh, on Twitter, I sometimes find it difficult to interpret the things that he's saying, um, especially when he talks about strategy. Um, like a lot of the times I don't know whether he's being serious or not. Um, and I have to like ask somebody, is this, is this a joke or not? Um, I don't, I don't know if Dara can, um, it looks like he's nodding. And yeah, that that's, a, that's a fantastic non-answer from Jen there. Dara, do you have anything real to say? <laughs> he's, yeah. I mean, Pads is, is, uh, he's definitely, uh, he's got that sort of right Northern English sense of humor where you, you can't always take everything uh, he says seriously, particularly on the strategy side. I think in this case, he's being very serious and heartfelt. Um, I think it falls in the, under the category of like really good idea in theory, almost impossible to implement in practice. Um, I've actually been involved in sort of some uh, underground attempts to have, do this type of thing in the past where different ambassadors from different sites have come together and talked about you know, protecting the <clears throat> recreational player pool, um, making stage. online poker better. Sorry, deep stage. <laughs> yeah. deep stage. But it yeah. always falls. It, it always falls apart because um, ultimately the sites are kind of at odds with each other, um, and it's very, very difficult to get them all to agree on anything. And it's also tends to be regarded with suspicion. Um, you know, if 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 a particular suggestion is made, where it comes from is it seems to be more important than the actual suggestion itself. It's like, well, that guy's a party ambassador, and you know we're poker stars. So why what why would we take on board what he has to say? So uh, personally, I've always found that it's run aground in the past. I mean, I think it could possibly still work. Um, and in fact, maybe making it public in some way would be better. Uh, if you have a public discourse, then people can other other people can also get involved and give their opinions. So it's not just a sort of a group of select self-selected people who think they can somehow talk for the entire um, online poker industry. Um, but yeah, I just think I wouldn't be very optimistic about the possibility of it being too effective because I think at the end of the day, the sites call the shots um, and the biggest yes, sites in particular. Yeah, and I the guess recreational. His, his big concern, though, is that um, we're going to like uh, slay the golden goose or whatever that phrase is. Um, that that there is a sense maybe that the site's almost encouraged by the lockdown boom, if you want to call it that, are now overdoing it and they're trying to sort of get all the money too fast yeah. and not properly managing their ecosystems. And maybe overall that's going to have a damaging effect, even if it seems right now like it's never been better. Well, I mean, a lot of this comes down to how, how, how the sites even view the industry. I mean, there has been a very popular uh, view among online players and it's even been expressed by some former Stars employees, for example, that the Stars attitude changed a few years ago to sort of, well, po online poker is, is doomed to die. So therefore, all we can do is make as much money from it as, po as possible in the long term, <clears throat> rather than thinking about the long term uh, sustainability. So, I mean... These, the sites seem to have been caught on the hop by the whole uh, boom that came from the lockdown, and they have sort of scrambled around and done these series and made an attempt. But some of the points that uh, Pads raised, like just just how pernicious um, re-entries are, for example, that's a particularly good one. I mean, re-entries absolutely screw everyone, but they particularly screw the recreational players. 
uh, that's something that stars used to know. I mean, when the, you, you know, David, that when stars and, and full tilt came together, full tilt at the time had multi entries as they call them, essentially re-entries and stars were completely against the idea because the, the people in stars at the time understood what the long-term effect on the ecosystem would be. Yeah. Um, but now more and more of the sites are accepting, uh, not just re-entry, but unlimited re-entry or multiple re-entries. Um, and, uh, I, I think, Party, I mean, party used to be the worst defenders on that, and actually they've they, they've come around on the issue now. <clears throat> Presumably, uh, Pads has done some good work there behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think even if a sort of a union doesn't come out of this, the fact that Pads is raising these things as issues, and and Louise obviously raised uh, unlimited reentries as an issue in her tweet as well, means that at least there is a sort of a education going on. It's something we've talked about in the past on the chip race. You know, just why re-entry is such a bad idea but i don't think it's something which has necessarily got across to a lot of players um i still know a lot of recreational players who don't see the what the what the problem with them is uh and, and even pros who think that they in some, that they in some way favor them uh which is obviously nonsense as well and jen would you from the inside of stars maybe uh, i know obviously you're not back room as such but w- would you get a sense of their game plan in terms of how much they love re-entry right now or is that a a plan or or would they look at something like this like i saw gg actually responded to uh pad saying that's really interesting we value your opinion on these things and we will look into it do you think it's the kind of thing that you know he could actually create a discourse internally there well i think that uh yeah i i i can't really speak to that especially to the around the world site but i do know that when the pas group came to pa i was really I was really happy that the entry fees um, seemed to be a little bit lower than in previous series that I saw, like NG Scoop and uh, PA, the previous PA series. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were definitely aware that um, with COVID-19, like making, encouraging responsible ga- gaming is more important than ever, just with people's careers and bankrolls being more uncertain and also just having more time to play, uh, making it even more important to you know, not, not mess up for the players, right? Because, like, if you only get to play once a week or twice a week and you play a little bit over what you're supposed to play, that's potentially not as damaging as now being home so often. So I was impressed by that. Uh, there, were, there were very few um, higher buy-ins during that series. And I, it seemed – actually, I, I'm not aware that that was a conscious decision, but it did seem like um, timing-wise uh, that, along with the messaging about – uh, responsible ga- gaming and COVID-19 was a good fit. And yet that's where I play. I play PA Scoop. Uh, I mean, I play Poker Stars PA. I live in Pennsylvania, so I'm super lucky uh, among Americans who are locked down to be in one of the two states where Poker Stars is um, legal and two of one of three, one of four states where there is regulated online poker. So it's PA, New Jersey, Delaware, and Nevada. Yeah, nice to have the option. I, I'd say there's a lot of people going stir crazy right now. The last mm-hmm. thing I want to ask you about was, Dara, since we were uh, last on the lockdown, and in fact, since we, we last had a show, you did a podcast interview for a chap called, I want to say, Demantas? Demantas Nishka, yeah. Uh, Lithuanian name. I, I, I would have guessed he was Lithuanian, but um, uh, I, I did ask him at the start. And yeah, young Lithuanian lad, he moved here when he was eight, so... Sounds completely Irish now, but uh, doesn't have an Irish name, obviously. 
that got a really good response. I, I will admit I haven't checked it out yet. I normally do check out all of your interviews uh, pretty regularly, but it's been a fairly stressful week or so. We're in the middle of our UOS, our Unibet Online series right now. It's every single day, so there's no break day. So I don't have much free time, but I will check it out eventually. But I, I have heard a lot of people comment on how good the interview was. Do, can you maybe give us a few cliffs? Um, <laughs> it was a very long interview. He ended up having to spread it over two episodes uh, because I did just bang on for two and a half hours. I think the reason why people who who uh, stuck with the whole course through is that uh, I didn't just talk about all the stuff that I normally talk about on poker podcasts. Um, first of all, the audience was very much non-poker players who are interested in poker. So yeah. that sort of forced me to uh, talk about it differently and try and get across what it is like to be a professional poker player to people who maybe just know the hand rankings and not too much more. Um, but then Demantis was also interested in, in, in talking about uh, all the other areas of my life. So we got on to obviously the running, we got on to sort of my early involvement in the um, development of the internet and all the other tech projects that I had done before, because his actual background is, is in tech. So that, uh, that was a particular interest to him. So I think I'll, I ended up talking a lot of stuff that I have never actually talked about before, at least on a poker podcast uh, or, 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 or since, I've been, since I got involved in poker. Um, I definitely got a lot of um, messages from people saying, oh, wow, yeah, I heard a lot of stuff that I hadn't heard there before. Um, Louise Butler told me she actually got to the whole two and a half hours in one sitting during her Sunday grind. So <laughs> shout out to Louise for sticking with that. She said it was one of her favorite interviews. So, yeah, I mean, the reaction has been very good. Um, I think it, it it is a sort of a bugbear of mine, I guess, that too many Poker is, is almost too much of an incestuous world and we don't reach out of it enough. Um, you know, all the poker podcasts tend to be aimed at existing poker players. Um, and, and that's, and you know, that's true of ours as well. Uh, and that's obviously necessary because they're the people who will listen to your podcast. But I think poker in general, the poker industry has to sort of make a more concerted effort to sort of reach outside the um the tribe and talk to other people and get other people engaged and explain to them what our world is um and why it might be of interest to them yeah absolutely that sounds fascinating so who is this podcaster what, what kind of background do they have uh he's a, he's a young guy studying um computer science uh in ireland uh well, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's Irish. He moved here when he was eight. Um, and his thing is he basically, his podcast is called Chasing Passion. Um, so his, he tries to find people in, in totally different areas of life uh, who are passionate about what they do and just talk about what, what makes them passionate about it. Um, but yeah, very good interviewer um, and very nice guy, very enthusiastic guy. So um, I found him very, very pleasant to talk to. Well, I think you guys are both very good interviews, viewers. So, um, um, notwithstanding, of course, this hour. <laughs> but, um, you, but in general, like when you say he's a good interviewer, like what stood out to you? Like what what is like one of the the skills of a good interviewer? Um, I think I think one of the skills is is not not inserting yourself too much into the thing. Uh, just sort of guiding the conversation um what he was very good at was you know i would bang on for a while and he would pick out something uh which he found particularly interesting and, and asked me to expand on that so he was sort of guiding the conversation that way um and also just being an enthusiastic listener as well if you're listening to if you're if you're talking to someone who seems genuinely interested in what you're saying um i think that tends to 
make you perform better as a speaker than if you know somebody who's clearly bored <laughs> and, or, or or maybe maybe not bored but just going through the motions um w- with someone like demand says you do get the feeling that he's listening to everything you're saying and he's 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 deciding what what to respond to how to guide the conversation rather than just having a stock interview that he does yeah one of the struggles i have as an interviewer and podcaster is um i love interviewing but when i'm podcasting especially at the beginning of it um I'm sometimes really distracted by the technical aspects and making sure the levels and everything is great. And obviously my husband helps me when it starts, but then I always get a little paranoid that things are a little off. Um, and sometimes they are off. And that, that is, that's difficult, but that's one great thing about the structure of the grid that in the beginning, it's so regimented that they tell this hand and usually it takes like three minutes to tell it. So I can kind of like try to like, get through my paranoia at that point, but still I found that to be one of the more difficult things that I'm worried about something technical and I'm, I stopped listening to the guests during that time. And it's, it's tough. It's a really tough balance to strike. It's nice that there's two of you. So um, you, you, you probably don't experience the severity of that. take turns listening to the guest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most of the time I just block out the guest and I'm staring at the next question I have to ask, waiting for them to pause. <laughs> well, look, we don't have another audio episode of the chip race for about two more weeks so if you are jonesing for a fix of the dulcet tones of daryl carney do check out that interview by demantis in the meantime as well i i was on your show jen and i don't know when that interview is going out but uh people have to i guess look forward to it maybe dread it i don't know have you heard back how how bad is it (laughs) oh i thought you were i mean i really liked it because i normally i mean i really like getting to know the writer side of you um, as I could tell by listening to the chip race before I, I knew you as well, that you had some, that somebody on the team had, um, you know, an editing background because you were so, you know, you were so precise that, uh, it, with your cuts. And so getting to know that you also had this background in writing and film, um, we were able to kind of explore that as you actually took a hand from a script that you wrote. So not a hand that you played, because unfortunately- I'm not going like to spoiler your brilliant line, but you, you introduced it so well. I won't say it because I, I don't want to uh, prejudice anybody who listens, but I get seriously burned right out of the gate. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll save it. We'll save it. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I like that. We, you know, we had Dan DeVoris on, and I heard your um, episode with Dan um, on the, uh, the Chip Race recently. He's so great. Yeah, he, he, he said how our interview was much better than yours, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I saw that on Twitter. He gave me a C plus. I don't believe him. <laughs> he loves the grade. But uh, yeah, Dan, um, I don't know where was I going with that. I don't even remember. Oh, Dan, Dan in the grid talked about a hand from a dream. And then you took a, you took a hand from a script. Um, so th- th- that kind of it's created. Falling apart, a, Jen. Your concept's falling apart. People, <laughs> just People are just making hands up. To- <laughs> You're not even a quarter of the way through and people are just fucking, oh, um, I found these two cards on the ground. Does this count? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Dan Dan DeVorce was pretty convincing, though, in the episode. People like that one. Yeah, I I, I enjoy that one. Yeah, DeVorce is one of my favorite people to listen to. Uh, He's just incredible. Um, Our our interview was quite tricky, actually, because, David, if you remember, I had literally just done my 32-mile run. (laughs) So I was, I was somewhat fatigued, let's say. <laughs> um, but Dan is so engaging. Yeah, he, he just snapped me right out of it. 
And he was dying to talk to you about all the running stuff as well, because he's a bit of a fitness freak himself. Yeah, yeah, really nice guy. Really nice guy. Yeah, God bless him. He gave us one of our best shows ever. That's, I think, maybe our second or third best show of all time. Second most listened to, yeah. Uh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Wait, quite surprising. Heard? It's it's interesting to us. Like Sometimes it's people like that who really resonate. Um, I think it also helped that we had uh, Cavalito on the show as well. Um, oh, that was a great interview. I thought he was Our first Brazilian, yeah. Uh, I, had, I didn't know about him, but when listening to the interview, I just loved... I, I, he just kind of brought me into another like world of poker that I don't know that well because I don't I've never been to Brazil and you just I think he did a really good job of kind of bringing your guests there um, and probably brought a lot of Brazilian listeners. Yeah, so I think I think that definitely helped as well. I, I mean, it is something we're conscious about. There is un, there's an unfortunate trend in not just podcasts but poker media in general where there's sort of a very much focus on the Anglo uh, the Anglo world, uh, the English speaking world. And we kind of forget that there's these vast places which um, have po- take poker seriously as well. So we've made a conscious effort. You know, we had Amadi, uh, Adrian Mateus on recently as well. Uh, we're hoping to line up some French players. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, you want to get away from just sort of the sole focus of English speaking. Obviously, it can be difficult because some of them maybe don't have great English as well. But uh, one of the things I that gives me the most pleasure when I'm looking around at the um, the iTunes charts because I'm a real nerd for charts is just how many different countries uh, the chip race pops up in and how and how many of those countries we are literally the only poker podcast that registers. Uh, there's no need to be mean. Guys. <laughs> right there, like, okay. Hey, speaking of which, I just I just downloaded Spotify. And because I, because you know how I listen to my podcast now, I wish I listened to more because I don't work out nearly enough. But my new thing is I put on a, I put on a workout video on my big monitor and then I mute it and I listen to a podcast. So that works out really well because, you know, these workouts are a bit boring. Mm -hmm. So I get to be entertained, but I was, I was looking at the chip race on Spotify and somehow it just didn't come. Like what's going on guys? Uh, yeah, there's a story there. The other markets, we don't need Spotify. <laughs> David has da- David has consistently resisted uh, my pleas to put us on Spotify, um, for reasons best known to himself. But yeah, Dan DeForest, I think just you know, too much work. <laughs> Dan is so smart about the game, so brilliant, and I think that Live Kinds podcast. It sounds obvious, but podcasts where people have a sense maybe from previous work that Dan has done that they might actually not only be entertained, but actually get a little bit better at poker by listening to it. Um, that's going to Im- improve the numbers just because, you know, people are self-improvement addicts, especially in the poker world. So if they can like kind of double dip and a um, pass an hour very pleasantly and B um, get better at poker or figure out how to get better at it, then that, that's going to just like really mash up well. And I've noticed that with the grid as well, especially since it has that explicit strategy angle, that sometimes non-famous guests that have very prestigious, like, you know, online or live careers, those ones tend to be very popular. Yeah. Yeah. We, we that's, that, that was the eye opener for us. We kind of figured that out early in, in, in the chip race. Um, we, we always revert to the pads moment when pad, when we had pads on first and we looked at sort of the other guests that we had and the number of Twitter followers he had compared to them. And we, we thought, you know, this, 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 the numbers on this show might not be great because he doesn't have the same sort of Twitter reach as other people. But actually, it was our biggest show ever at that point. Um, and it, that sort of really drove home the point that that's what our audience wants to hear. 
guys they know are very good players talking about poker and guys they know will will talk intelligently on the subject yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um and yeah Whereas like for our audience, you know, we've had sort of some of the, in inverted commas, characters of poker, you know, the, the live poker players have been around for years. And I mean, it's great to have those people and we do sort of want the diversity, but in, in terms of numbers, they just don't tend to perform as well as the online players uh, because they just don't resonate as well with our audience. And that's okay. I mean, I think it's fine to like, you know, not just be obsessed with the numbers and like bring yeah. in people who are great interviews but aren't as popular. But it is, it is eye-opening and it makes a lot of sense, especially for the grid, which has that very explicit like strategy, self-improvement angle, even though some of, the, some of the podcasts are more like storytelling, but there's enough of them that are very strategic that you can see why people would do that. Now, I do admire you guys have done a great job of diversifying, particularly on the gender um, point of view. Um, that you uh, seem to have women every show, sometimes two women a show. And even though like on the, considering my relationships in poker, I know so many women and uh, I have so many female friends in poker. I have to say that it is a little bit more difficult to book them for the grade. And it's not because they're not interested in appearing, but I think that maybe they feel a little, they're more likely, I think, to be shy that the episode is going to be listened to and they're going to be mocked for their like lack of strategic understanding. They're scared um, of you, Jen. They're just, they're quite simply scared of you. If they find you a very intimidating interviewer and uh, they're worried that you're going to make them look silly. And, and okay, I, exactly. I think it, it was very nice of Jen to say that, like, you can't worry too much about numbers because she's obviously bracing herself for, like, the lowest numbers ever when your episode goes <laughs> Well, on that note. Um, well, you are sandwiched between Moneymaker and the Brie. So. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Cheers, <laughs> cheers for that. I'm in that sandwich. Um, but anyway, I, I do want to say uh, sincerely, and I know I speak for Darren on this one, we are huge fans of your show and we were delighted to see you win the award. So fair play on that. It would be absolutely okay by us if you went back to back now next year. So please go do that. Also, I want to say um, thanks a million for, as Dara pointed out, the minute your camera went on, looking really nice and being beautifully lit to create an unbelievably obvious contrast with us. At least Neil Farrell, who came on the last show, had the decency to basically be in pitch darkness. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't yeah, know I mean, I'm to... literally just off my run, so I'm sw- sitting here sweat- oh, sweating God. profusely. You've had to turn your fan <laughs> off because it was too noisy. So we both literally look like sweaty perverts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is bright and early here in, a, here in the, the States. You know, I just have my coffee. Mm. Well... On the on the phrase sweaty perverts, Jen Chahade, thank you so much. <laughs> thanks, Jen. Yeah, thanks guys. This is fun. Perfect. We could have done. One more look at that. One more look. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't do this to me. Oh stop. <laughs>